This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, the business station. Good morning. You're listening to Pressing Matters, the show where we go beyond the headlines and explore issues driving the press. I'm Philip C. Today's show, I speak to Shannon Teo, Malaysia Bureau Chief of The Straits Time, to help us recap Malaysia's political developments in 2023 and what to expect in 2024. Good morning, Shannon. You know, it goes without saying that 2023 was extremely eventful for Malaysian politics. Will it be fair to assume that 2024 will be much calmer politically? Uh, it would be fair, yeah. Uh, but I think we shouldn't also underplay it at the same time, like, as if, oh, you know, nothing politically um, um, uh, significant is going to happen in 2024. Um, because I think especially when we, we, we take on this question, right, especially when you speak to risk analysts or policy, you know, the kind of, uh, you know, policy consultants, investor uh, community sort of thing. The, the question tends to take this lens of, oh, how stable is the administration, right? And therefore, what it means for policy implementation, right? You know, that, that's kind of the lens. But there's more to, to politics than that. Like if you are actually a keen politics watcher, and if you've not been sick to your stomach after this one, you're still watching it, um, internally, internally, right? You're already seeing kind of like handbags, six or one half a dozen of another from AMNO and DAP, right? Just just in the past month, talking about non-Malay PM, local elections, and then now um, you know Tony Puas piped up on HSR, and then uh, Joe AMNO very predictably, you know, uh, hit back at him and these sort of things. So I also GPS, right? Because of this whole pro-Palestinian thing, we we are talking about bringing in uh, Palestinian refugees. If we can, I'm not sure how that's supposed to happen. But if it happens, uh, you know, the 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 GPS second gen, I think, uh, yeah. Nanta was saying, oh no, 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 we're not going to take them. But then another GPS leader said, no, what are you talking about, you know, and and stuff like that. So yes, to an extent, you expect that in a coalition, right? Uh, the yeah. difference of views, but in certain aspects, you're already seeing that after a year, people are not so keen to keep their mouth shut anymore. Lah. They mm. are going to speak up. So nobody's going to be leaving the Madani government. I, I don't think there's a great incentive to 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 walk out at this point, mm. uh, or even in the next year, a couple of years. I, I just don't see what is the tipping point. You know, twenty twenty three is one thing to be populist to to win an election, right? Uh, but it's also another thing trying to keep a coalition together. Um, I think we'll you know cabinet reshuffle is is appointed. It is not so much. I feel it's not so much geared towards. Uh, performing better, but to it made more sense politically than than in terms of uh, government. So it won't be boring twenty twenty four. It's just that it's not marked by very clear dates or calendars like the state elections, right? Which were very pivotal in twenty twenty three. But I presume twenty twenty four will still be very interesting because although we saw a year of abundant political trials, and of course the DNA mm. with uh, Amno President Zahir Hamidi. I can assume that actually 2024 will still see a spate of trials that we would have to watch very closely, right? Yeah, I think so. You, you go into this term with a lot of Amno people having all these trials, and um, you know, then one by one, it's either settled or DNAA, that sort of thing. On the other hand, you it's not that the courts are not busy anymore, lah, right? Then we have the cases uh, going after. I say Prikatan, but it looks like mostly Besatu at this point, yeah. right? And, um, you know, I don't think that it'll also be a quiet year in the courts for the likes of the, the Mahades and the Daims of, of this world, lah, right? So far, it's only Daim, but, you know, with the with, with Mahades' side, there is this, uh, it, it was it's more of a defamation case. 
but then you know it's it's one of these cases actually I'm I'm kind of looking forward to because if it actually does go to trial, all sorts of nonsense is going to come out. You know, all this old stuff, all the old allegations in the 1990s, you yes. did this, you did that. You know, I mean, it, it's clear lah. Without kind of implying that there's any uh, solid evidence of executive interference in in, in criminal procedures, uh, is that there's a strong correlation, right, in our history yeah. that. How political trials and and uh, prosecutions and investigations go will tell you whether the accused is with or against the establishment. I'm not suggesting anything further than that, but there's a very strong correlation. I suspect that you know the current perhaps spotlight on Daim Zainuddin perhaps is the apex right of all trials because really, if you go to the root of it with politics, money, politics and such, this is going to be the trial that everybody will look for, right? And there is no trial bigger than this, isn't it, if this takes place? I, I, yeah, definitely right now, uh, this is the one that it, it involves what is the biggest deal, right? The UM renowned thing is, you know, aside 1MDB, which, you know, Najib still facing a few trials here and there, I can't really think of anything ongoing now, which is as huge as this, right? Like, like Muhyiddin has the the Jana Wilbauer stuff and all that, but it's not nothing had, which kind of grips the imagination. At least we are showing our age, lah, right? That grips our imagination <laughs> yeah. as much as this. I don't know if we ask the younger voters now if they they recognize yeah. what what this scandal is about. In a sense, very significant because it's threatening to open up a big can of worms, right? Um, I'll go a bit on a tangent. You know, I was speaking to a tax expert recently. But please don't quiz me why I'm speaking to a tax expert. But there is an upside to if the IRB one day comes and says, uh, hey, um, you know, in 2019, you know, you you didn't pay this certain amount. Like, you know, calculate, calculate, you actually owe us a few thousand. And what it implies apparently is that they are satisfied with your accounts up to that point, let's say 2019. Unless you falsify documents like, or, or misdeclare. But based on your declaration, we are happy up to that year. And we only think that you owe us this much this year, right? 2019, 2020, whatever year, right? And so it means that you pretty much everything before that, you can just kind of you know put away those documents, you're safe. Now, if we are going after Daim for something that happened in the 90s, what are we saying here? Then then we are reopening things in the past 25 years. Everything can be reopened now. Every little whiff of scandal or, or, or abuse of power, MACC can kind of come in now and as, as MACC is, is empowered to see staff freeze accounts while it is investigating, right? This involves a lot of people. <laughs> if you're going back to the 90s, you know, you have to ask the question, theoretical, it's a, it's a, it's, it's, it's a thought experiment. Lah. If you're going back to the 90s, wasn't Anwar finance minister just a few years before that, are we going back to that? Are we, if someone comes out with a document somewhere, are we saying that MECC should also investigate that? Yep. It's a huge can of worms, right? This is a long period of history. Uh, and so much has happened, you know, in, in all that time. So, but I think in terms of how it could play out politically, we're talking about the politics, how 2024 might not be such a dull year after all. <laughs> I mean, it can, it can go kind of two ways. Lah. Well, very obviously, this kind of thing takes very long to, to prove in court. We ding donging back and forth, discovering documents everywhere. Uh, MACC seizing things all over the place, and already there are misgivings about how the MACC runs its its, its uh, investigations. Yeah. So it could be that time. Uh, this will be a warning shot to all those who you know you might call them an anti-Anwar brigade. Please don't try any nonsense. 
you also we also have some documents on you or could it actually galvanize them mm-hmm. into an actual you know like like ph pre uh, 2018 right it was an enemy or my enemy is my friend sort of thing against najib could it coalesce mm-hmm. a kind of anti brigade lah I mean, you. I, I fully agree with you. 2024 will definitely not be a dull year. And Diam case could be a very landmark case and probably, you know, will change, shift a lot of boundaries. I guess one big boundary shifter potentially is also the ascension of the Sultan of Johor, right? Assuming the role of the young Patron Agong, right? And I presume, yeah. and just even before he's ascended to the throne as young Patron Agong, the dynamics between, you know, royalty and government will substantially alter as a result, right? I mean, this will be a very interesting interplay to see how both parties work together, right? I mean, in, in our context between, I mean, you know, we, that we did, the, I did the interview um, a few weeks ago and it's, I'm actually kind of surprised people haven't stopped talking about it because that's not the first interview uh, Tuan Kuo has given, right? He, he is quite present in the media in that sense. He's given interviews uh, pretty often. But I suppose the timing, right? He's just been uh, elected. He's, he's going to ascend. And the things he had to say uh, in the interview, uh, which I will, I will tell you now, a lot of it did not come from our questions. He wanted to say, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, he wanted to say those things. So. So I think he's made it very clear he's going to be a lot more involved. And even from before this, you kind of see how uh, the government, the federal government has paid a lot more attention to Joho, even before he's become Dago, right? You kind of usually expect to see it after. But this has already been happening. The, the kind of, the, the, the stage has already been set, right? Uh, yes. Anwar has gone down to Joho, talked about yeah. SEZ, FZZ, all these sort of things, uh, even before... Uh, the Tuanku has become Agong. So, yes, I mean, some some people have criticized what he said in the interview, asking if he's uh, implying uh, previous Agongs were puppets and, and all that sort of things. Uh. But, um, you know, without going into the constitutional merits of what he can do, what he can't do, we are talking about a royal house that has waded into politics a lot deeper mm. than others. You know, uh, before 2018, we had uh, TMJ talking about something about don't change even if the captain of the ship is not good, you don't change the ship. I, I, I can't recall exactly the words, but stick with Bien, was well, the general uh, sense. Yes, Suta Ibrahim and, and TMJ are different personalities, but kind of in terms of uh, uh, mainstream politics, they, they are quite aligned like, in, in who, who, they, who, who they want, yeah. right? So the real question, I think, what people are missing in all the arguments about, is this within the Agung's powers and all, and, and all that, you know, how constitutional it is? Is the real politic question like, is, is how unwise administration are actually going to handle this, right? Mm. Will they draw a line in the sand and say, no, Tuanku cannot here, here, no further, right? Or they find some compromises. Okay, like, we give you this one, you give us this one, everyone walks away happy. Uh, you know, navigate it with some canny politicking. I say canny politicking because, I mean, you know, there isn't really an excuse for this administration to crumble before the the rulers like like some of those in the past lah, right yeah because this government has more than a two-thirds majority right they they, they trumpeted it right first they had two-thirds now they're even bigger it's 151 mps or something like that you know the last prime minister to have two-thirds majority you, we know what he did to the royals right so why can't anwar i'm not suggesting you do the same but i'm saying that if that if the government believes that the, the, the limit of the royal powers is here, then then put your foot down. You know, what's what's to be afraid of? It's a government in a relatively solid position. And I wonder when 
when you see uh, Prime Minister Anwar make changes to his cabinet, and they were really substantial shifts, right? Is it a reflection of the cabinet's failure to institute, you know, reforms in 2023? Or is it the anticipation that we're going to see a lot more happening in 2024? I think some of the things that happened with the cabinet reshuffle were, were like low-hanging fruit, you know? So appointing a, a second finance minister, that's an immediate plus, right? Um, you could have appointed anyone, right? But anyone, at least it's someone who knows how to count, right? Um, anyone who has a good rep, and I think Amir has a good rep, uh, and it already immediately be a plus. You have someone in there who can do the job. While, and I'm, I'm not saying that this is necessarily a, a criticism of Anwar, but Anwar has been missing from the Treasury. He's got a lot on his plate. He's been doing diplomacy, taking on the role as Prime Minister and also the you know uh, Commander-in-Chief, because it was also still an election year, right, 2023. Yeah. So how much time has he spent in, in finance ministry actually doing the dirty work, right? I mean, all, all signs indicate not that much, right? It has been delegated to, to different people. Having a finance minister in on location in that sense, right? Coming into the office every day, looking at papers, signing off, making sure things happen. You know, that's definitely already a plus. The question, I think, is the dynamics. Uh, how this interplay between FM1 and FM2 is going to work out. You know, the last time we had a second finance minister was Joe Ghani. And Joe Ghani's name was in the running, right? People talking about him as coming back. But you know, when he was finance minister too, he couldn't really do much about 1MDB because Big Boss was in control of, yeah, of that situation, right? So he couldn't do about anything about that mess then. But in an ironic way, he's now chairman of the Goldman Sachs Task Force or whatever it's called. And now he's cleaning up the mess he couldn't clean up, well, you know, eight years, seven years ago. Elsewhere, I really don't see any kind of appointment that was met with a lot of enthusiasm and they created a lot of excitement. Uh, yes, Joe Ghani is in there, but for commodities. He split up some ministries. I'm not sure all of them were about improving administrative performance, improving policy making, rather than politics, right? I still don't I don't get what Gobin is actually supposed to be doing. Um mm-hmm. I you know I, I I still don't really understand uh, what is the digital ministry. If you if you you know to if I wanted to be uh, uh, cynical about it, it seems like it was a mechanism to allow Stephen Sim to take up the HR ministry and still allow Gobin to be in uh, cabinet, and which in which in turn, because by Stephen moving out of finance ministry, opens up a deputy ministry place, which is taken up by Lim Huying. So I am yes, I am suggesting that. This, you know, people say, oh, this is a big win for the AP. I, I don't think it's a big win for the AP. Anthony Lowe is right. In terms of numbers, it just kind of balances out. But it's a big win for Guaning, who is not in, in government, but his people are in very good positions, yeah. right? The no changes, I mean, come on, we don't really have to go into that. It is can only be explained by politics. Um, so, yeah, there, there was a significant number of changes. But when you look through them, I, I don't feel like, it is exciting in the sense that, oh, these guys are really going to mm. go all guns blazing 2024. Yeah, let's go, right? Mm-hmm. We're heading into some messages and when we come back, we continue our discussion with Shannon Teo, Malaysia Bureau Chief of the Straits Times, as we reflect on Malaysia's political scene. Stay tuned, BFM 89.9. Thanks for staying tuned to Pressing Matters on the Morning Run. Today on the show, Shannon Teo, Malaysia Bureau Chief of the Straits Times. You know, Shannon, earlier in the segment, we covered a couple of dimensions that will shape the political landscape. And we ended 2023 with a cabinet reshuffle. 
presumably the biggest reshuffle really was at the finance ministry. Rightfully so, right? Because the economy is a key concern for voters. And of course, huge on the in-trade will be subsidy rationalization. Yeah, you know, on, on the one hand, I, I think it could have been done a lot earlier. This stuff, you know, we want to 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 talk or, or frame uh, frame it in, in the in the view of politics. Yeah, you couldn't do anything until the state elections were over. That's around August, mm. right? You you and but you already mentioned this sort of things in budget 2023, and you already started on electricity, right? And and I think credit where is due the, the rationalization for electricity, which is deepening now in January 1st, is going there's going to be even uh, deeper cuts. Uh, has been good, has been logical, it makes sense. Um, as someone who is spending in the tiers where I am going to be paying more, I feel like it is still fair, right? It's being done quite carefully um, and still ring-fencing uh, the, the, the lower classes, the lower-income classes, right? You've already started that. I don't understand why few uh, subsidy rationalizing could, couldn't start in Q4. With your trials, right? And say now we're going to start the trials, they say in Q1. I, I don't know because the, the, you know, there, there doesn't seem to be any kind of tangible movement on the ground. And that's just for diesel. And then you haven't gone to petrol yet, right? Mm-hmm. It feels a bit late. It feels like we are losing time. Uh, not enough was mentioned in budget 2024. Not enough seems to be operationalized. Why I feel, why I, I you know, I, it seems like I'm rushing. Can we subsidize? Uh, can we rationalize the subsidies as soon as possible? It's because you want to save that money so that you can put it to other more 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 uh, beneficial places right for yeah. economic development so on and so forth and if you don't do that early enough it doesn't reap the, the the political dividends right when you say yeah the economy's grown so well we can call the elections now and win it based on our good policy if you only get to plant the money into the ground much later in 2025 2026 Whoever's prime minister after 2027 elections, the one that's going to reap the benefits for no good reason. Lah. If it's Anwar still, then 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 good for him. But it could be completely someone else because people haven't felt. Mm. So his entire political strategy has been, and he's been speaking about this in interviews also. How will you handle the rise of you know uh, ethno-nationalist rhetoric? His straightforward answer is economic development. I'm going to make people uh, uh, feel richer, uh, uh, you know, or more, you know, have more money in their pockets, basically. And and that's going to win them over. So you're running out of time. I mean, you haven't been in budget 2024. What's the, the, the again, what's the big game changing thing that is going to move the economy? Nothing yet, right? You need the money and, and, and you have to create that money as soon as possible. Shannon, you allude that actually this government, although it promised reformacy and really structural changes, really didn't take any substantive bold reforms in 2023. They started talking about it, but actually yeah. the rubber never hit the road. Do you expect 2024 to be very different? Do you expect that finally you will see some sense of boldness in the reforms? Okay, when you look at 2023, what has been the main reforms that have crossed the line, right? Um, I think mandatory death penalty. If, if you're a progressive uh, reformist, I think you universally agree that at least we've done something on that. We've gotten that over the line. Uh, uh, we've passed, uh, if I'm not mistaken, uh, Fiscal Responsibility Act, although I'm kind of not sure exactly what it binds the government to, right? Uh, and then how how tight those 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 uh, clauses are. Um, but of other things that we talk about, um, you know, uh, separating AG from public prosecutor, 
uh, really only gathers after Zahid got his DNA. Now, all that reminds me of is Najib also started a political financing committee after the 1MDP thing blew up. It just feels like a bit too late. Like you've been caught out and then now you want to do something about it, right? Uh, political appointments still everywhere. Freedom of speech is abysmal. I'm, I'm sorry. Mm. They really scored on that one. So all these things can be done. Uh, you know, we're talking about it. Freedom of speech, you can you can work on it. You can do things very quickly to change it. It doesn't require some amazing intellect or, or economists who can rearrange the entire economic structure of Malaysia. Freedom of speech is just freedom of speech. Like you just decide not to go after people right? Uh, for the things that they say. Um, so um, I, I think in this context, there are, there are still a lot of low-hanging fruits. You can do it, right? Whether they are going to do it is, you know, you, you, you would, if you sit, sat down with some of the ministers and they would say that, yeah, yeah, we can do it, right? And then two months later, if you ask them again, they say, oh, cabinets, they haven't sat on this paper or haven't deliberated. You know, there are all these obstructions. And I don't know if if necessarily we have someone to blame. We can or we can say they don't want to do it. There is no will, so on and so forth. But it is not happening, like it is not moving. Uh, and at the end of the day, the people that have to carry the can for this is the political government, like the, the elected government. Sometimes we think we are masters of our own fate in Malaysia, but fundamentally also Malaysia is intertwined globally. Because uh, I don't need to remind you about how the pandemic yeah. has wreaked havoc uh, in Malaysia. I wonder if there are any big global events or milestones you think that could fundamentally shape the trajectory of Malaysia. Well, I mean, the, the main thing people look at is China recovery, right? Everyone's looking to look and, and, and kind of sitting there and looking at what's going to happen in China. China recovers, then we also just ride the same wave. If, if China doesn't, then, oh, you know, um, the same thing is going to happen to us. It's slightly simplistic, lah, but it is it is one of the big externalities. Um, of course, there's other things we are looking at also, you know, one of the bright sparks in Malaysia, and, that, and it's a bright spark that has got nothing to do with policymaking, right? It's the semiconductor space, right? Um And a lot of it has been due to whatever you want to call it, like China plus one reshoring, you know, there's so many different buzzwords for this strategy, right? But just the, the shakeup in global supply chain. And if we look at things that might happen this year, you know, uh, in Taiwan, I think there's an election, uh, US presidential election coming up. Stuff like that is it's, it's nearly kind of, of very cynical, very morbid. You're, like, you're hoping for a result where you get an even crazier person in charge. And then they're going to like start shooting out tariffs here, trade barriers there, blah, blah, blah. And then it benefits Malaysia. To an extent, it does in, in terms of building, of, of in, you know, in, in, inveigling ourselves into the global supply chain of stuff. But on the other hand, not so good also because you, you imagine that this is going to be a, another drag on, on global growth, right? So which is which is the game that Malaysia is, is it, will, will benefit Malaysia? Like, now, I'm not a good enough economist to kind of, of, of figure it out. But all these dangers lie ahead, right? Here be dragons for, for, for the next government. And it's a question of preparedness. Um, I think if you look at, if you want to talk about uh, things like FDI, I think trade numbers, uh, you know, are kind of middling. But FDI numbers have not been good. I mean, in realized numbers, like not the kind of numbers that Anwar goes spouting after he comes back from China and all that. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, it's been uh, what 15 billion 
for the first half of the year. And the whole of last year has been 75. So there's a lot of catching up and I don't think we're going to catch up. So can can we do better in 2024 uh, in terms of FDI? The, the perennial problem for us has not actually been FDI, right? It's always been DDI, right? Our local businesses seem to, or tycoons rather, they seem to be wanting to invest elsewhere, not in Malaysia. We talk about all these announcements of investments, but there are bread and butter issues to contend with, right, on the economy. What is the, you know, I mean, when we keep talking about the economy, we, we tend to talk about very macro stuff, growth, FDI, um, and all that. But we know, I mean, politically, when we speak about it, the biggest kind of economic issue for voters has, has been for a very long time. It's not always been the case, but it has been maybe since 2016, 2017, has been cost of living. Like, and I know, and and God bless Rafizi, you know, he announces the inflation numbers and 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 they are kind of moderating. But it's not the same as prices going down, right? It's just that inflation is not as bad as before. Yeah, yeah. So it's not deflation in that sense. So if chicken went from five to six ringgit, then it's still at six ringgit now. It's not that it's gone down. So then, but that would be fine if wages were going up. Right. And the question being, are wages going up? Like he's supposed to table this progressive wage model. Yes. It's like the world's biggest secret. Nobody knows any details. Uh, again, in hope rather than expectation, I hope it's a great policy uh, that moves us somewhere. But if you look at the data, the inflation data is still there is still in the positives, right? Wage data coming from his own department of statistics. When they first released the monthly data, everyone's like, well, it's a big deal. Suddenly they're being very transparent, right? And, and I think the March figure where they, they they still do it quarterly. So quarter one, it ended up at 2,600 ringgit uh, median wage. Uh, quarter two in June, 2,600 <laughs> ringgit. You know? So if you just go by data alone, wages are not moving. La. And because wages are not moving, even 0.1% inflation is going to hurt people, right? So you 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 can't talk about this the, the data in, in isolation and say, oh, inflation is not so bad anymore. You know, people should support this government. We've done very well. The, the flip side is that, you know, we are only kind of recovering to pre-pandemic wages. Mm. That's, that's where we are now. We kind of lost three years, four years of, of economic development. Meanwhile, prices have been going up, right, at that at time. So... That's the, if you want to talk about metrics, which uh, this government is going to be judged by by the time we reach 2026, wherever is the time the, the election is going to be called, that's the metric, mm. right? Affordability. You know, you thought cost of living, it's not inflation. So what can you buy? Yeah. Actually, it's affordability. It's not, yeah. not not inflation, not cost of living, not income. It's just a cost, affordability. Yeah. So what Which can I buy, right? Yeah. Between income and cost. Yeah. So if uh, taxes don't go up, if cars are still cheap, you know, if uh, you can still buy a BYD for less than 100000 or whatever it is, then great. Lah. You know, you want to bring in Tesla, whatever, fine. That's that's great. But how many people are going to go out there, just put money down for 200000 a car, right? What does that do for me? Yeah. Um, so uh, I think that's where, uh, if you're looking at the economy from purely kind of a, a, a next election perspective, mm-hmm. that's, that's, the, that's the, the kind of uh, headline figures I'm going to be looking at. 2026. That was Shannon Teo, Malaysia Bureau Chief of the Straits Times. This has been Pressing Matters on the Morning Run. Coming up next is the 10 a.m. News Bulletin, followed by Enterprise, BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.